sit down and you were the chair for the other person's bottom and it was like a trust game and one of my friends Mary at the tender age of 14 believed that you could get pregnant by touching tummies so just as she would try and do the trust thing and just as someone's bum was coming towards her tummy she just stepped out of the circle and nobody actually knew why anyway so I'm going to do one of those other games today where you say five things about yourself because some of you don't know me that well and five of them Four of them are truth and one is fiction. So you guys, you guys don't have to do it, I'm going to do it, and you can guess which one is the fiction. So, no, nice and loud. Um, okay, I have a progressive hereditary hearing loss. I'm infertile, and I had to do IVF three times to get my two kids who are playing over there. I'm a medical doctor. I have an anxiety disorder. And... I don't know why I chose these particular things, but anyway. And my son started <laughs> yeah. My son started school this year. My daughter's been in school for two years. And while he's been in school, I've been using my mornings to add to an electoral campaign. This is our slogan. This most yo mensa. <laughs> they they took me out of the ones that you see on the, on the I'm not sure why, but luckily I'm in an media department, so I just made this one. And I'm going to be circulating it soon. I am your mentor. And this lady, we also tried to get her to go right to the back, but she just kept on coming forward. I don't know what happened there, but we're still working on it. And the lectures on Wednesday. <laughs> okay, so the sixth thing you should know about me I didn't put too many jokes in Because not too many of my people are here today And I've got quite a weird sense of humour But if, if you're not sure, you can just laugh Okay, the sixth thing you should know about me Is about doubt and faith Okay, so I was raised in a home With atheism, Buddhism New age beliefs Also the very strong Christian grandparents and somewhere in the midst of that though I was also then trained in science and evidence base so along the way I've had a lot of doubts about various things in my faith and I think in our circles doubt about your faith can be seen as a bit of a taboo topic because we feel that our belonging here has to is based on our common faith but I want to say there's such a thing um, they refer to as the honest skeptic uh, somebody who honestly wants to find the truth. So you get someone who might be a dishonest skeptic, say, um, I've heard this example, they want to have sex before marriage, so they become unsure about what the Bible says about sex before marriage. So that's maybe a dishonest skeptic, but then you also get honest skeptics who have doubts and investigate them and want to find the truth. Um, and if you look at David in the Psalms, he often um, will talk about something bad that's happening or bad place he is in and then he'll refer back to a time when he knew God was, would be faithful to his promises or God was faithful. So I think it's quite important to address our doubts and make sure that our faith is firm for those times when hard times do strike. So for me, I found that suffering is probably the biggest unlink block to my faith. And when I experience suffering... Other, other people, which I saw quite a lot when I worked as a doctor, and also my friends, and then, but especially in myself, I found suffering very hard, and that would often bring up a lot of doubts for me in my faith. And I think there's two reasons why this happens to us, and one is our Western 
worldview, which some of us buy into without even realizing it, which is in Western society, your dreams and you as an individual are, are like an idol. And anything that steps in the way, often suffering, that takes you away from your dreams is something that must be eliminated and it is a divergence from your path and there's no reason for it, get rid of it. So, but I love how Jordan Peterson, a lot of us have read his 12 Rules for Life, which is a great book. Um, he's, I don't think he's actually a Christian, but I love what he's pushing back against our current secular culture. And this is what he says. He says, even though, though life is suffering, if you're sufficiently courageous, forthright, and honest in your approach, and you don't shy away, what you'll find is there's something within you that will respond to the challenge of suffering by the development of ability that will transcend the suffering. It is as bad as you think, but you are more than you think you are. And he says, we, in, we have an indomitable divine spirit, but you have to call that out. It wouldn't come out by itself. Why would it? So the first reason is the world we are brought into, and then the second thing is what I call Christian magical thinking. And this is where... I think a lot of us do this. We make God from our knowing Father, all divine, all knowing, into a fairy godmother. Where we say, either in general or just in one specific situation, I can only do that outcome. This is the problem. These are the possible outcomes. And God, this is the one that you have to give me. And if you give me anything else than that, then you're not good enough. And we don't allow for God to be our all knowing Father, and we make him into our fairy godmother. So, for example, this is when you have that job interview and you like search the Bible for verses and you know, <coughs> prosperity and it's going to happen and then you don't get the job. And then distrust creeps in. Or in my case, you've been trying to fall pregnant for two years and it's a week before your wedding anniversary and you fall pregnant. And you're like, yes, Lord, this is like your provision. This is... You are honouring us for our marriage. It's like perfect. And then on the day of your wedding anniversary, you have a miscarriage. And that was probably one of the lowest points in my faith. That was when my fairy godmother God left me down unforgivably. And I remember Ray was at work that day and we were waiting for the news. And Ray was a very organised person. And he knocked his coffee over at a meeting and just spread over the table onto everyone's stuff. And for me, that was like that movie moment that like showed, you know, that's what I felt like in that moment. So, because I felt I let down by God and my fairy godmother just crashed, and I felt my suffering was meaningless because of my worldview, and I became very angry and bitter, and I made a promise to myself. I said, I'll be grateful for infertility one day, but I will never, ever be grateful for this miscarriage. And it's probably been about seven years since then, <laughs> but I am grateful for that miscarriage, um, which I never thought it would be, because it gave me hope, and it also started to build a bridge, because people didn't understand my infertility, but they understood my loss. And people started reaching out to me in ways that they hadn't before. So I am grateful for that miscarriage now. And recently, my daughter Hannah found out about that baby we lost by accident, never meant to tell her <laughs> this age. And... Um, I didn't think she would really get it, but, and I carried on, I was just busy gardening, and then next thing I looked over and she was sobbing, she was crying, she's six, she's five, she was crying silently, so hard, just for my loss, not for herself, and that for me was like the full circle in my healing journey, my living child was crying for me about the child that I lost before she was born, so... 
Okay, just to lighten things up a bit. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, I asked my brother to stand up. This is my brother, everybody, Neil. <laughs> he doesn't know what's going to happen next. He's a... No, no, no. Keep standing. Keep standing. <laughs> He's a statistician, so he all knows all about evidence. Um, anyway, don't worry, it's not about that. So I thought, something just occurred to me this morning that there's one person here who can say something to me, and this is the only time he's ever been able to say it to me, so I'm going to ask him to say it in his best American Southern accent. Preach it, sister. <laughs> Preach it, sister. There you go. Yeah, you Okay, so the only thing I can say in my favor during that time when my fairy godmother fell from the sky, I was running, they say I was running and there was a canyon and I didn't see it coming and the fairy godmother was going ahead of me and she just fell and she was swept away in the rivers below. And I got to the end of the canyon and the only thing I can say, because it was a very dark time and it lasted a long time, was that I didn't jump down into the canyon. What I did was I stood there and I screamed into the abyss and I was so furious and I... When the fury eventually passed, I sat down, and that was quite hard for me, because then I just had to wait. And what was left waiting at the end of that canyon was what we could call the honest skeptic, hoping to find the truth. And that's when God began to build a bridge for me, first back to community, and then back to him. So, faith. There's two definitions of faith from the scholars that I want to mention today. C.S. Lewis calls faith the art of holding on to things in spite of your changing mood. And Tim Keller says, faith is what you trust in that you can't prove. So faith is what you trust in that you can't prove. And trust is a bit of a nebulous word. I love this definition by Charles Feltman, because it's quite hard. He says, trust is choosing to make something important to you vulnerable to the actions of someone else. Choosing to make something important to you vulnerable to the actions of someone else. So that's that job. That biopsy result, that unborn child, that growing baby. And the problem in these kind of situations is that we trust God for a particular outcome, our very God, Mother God. And then, heaven forbid, that retrenchment, that cancer, that miscarriage, suffering. And distrust creeps into our relationship with God. And distrust is defined as what I've shared with you that is important to me is not safe with you. So, these are all really hard things, and I don't mean to make light of them. And if you're suffering in the depths of suffering right now, this is more for the other side, or if you haven't gone into it yet. Because <laughs> this is all hard to hear. And don't quote it to me next time you see me in the depths of suffering, because I won't like it. <laughs> but um, I don't believe we are meant to make light of our suffering or bury our feelings. Like, just a small example is when Jesus is outside of the tomb and Lazarus is dead. And he knows the outcome. He knows he's going to raise him from the dead. But he still wept. And I don't mean, I don't think we have to make light of our suffering. But we land up in distrust with God because we trust in a particular outcome. But if you read the Bible, you'll find that's not what he says. That's not what he promises us. He's not our very Godmother. He doesn't say, you decide the outcome and I'll give it to you. He is a much, much broader, much stronger than that. Thank goodness he's our all-knowing Father. Um, you know, God's sense of humor is great because when I heard I had to preach today, I'd actually just come out of an operation and I was um, and I was still under the face of anesthetic and I get a message to me and said, will you preach on the 5th of May? And I said, I can't do it, but later. And he said, yeah, that's the best. 
And I thought to myself, I should probably say right now, I'm still under the effects of an anesthetic, so I can't answer this right now. But I said yes. <laughs> anyway, that's not the funny part. I actually wanted to preach. <laughs> I wanted to preach something upbeat because this is my first sermon. And then as I was preparing, this like quite hard truth came to me. So, And I'm, I'm the worst person at breaking bad news. We did this class in med school. And we do a role play and we'd be like, okay, now you have to tell the person that they have terminal cancer. Chemo is not going to help. Radiotherapy is not going to help. And they're like, Go. And they have like taught us all the tools and everything, and then everyone's watching. And by the end, like everyone in my group was always just laughing because the person that was like, you know, that other person had to pretend that they were being given the diagnosis, and by the end of it, they didn't have cancer anymore, and everything was going to be fine. <laughs> so I'm really bad at it. Anyway, so <laughs> let's read what the Bible says about suffering. And I love that Caleb wouldn't communicate, but he put that verse from Romans 8. So this is from Romans 8. I'm just going to sort of break it down a little bit. So he says, starting in verse 18, you can read the proper thing at home because I've sort of cut it down a bit. Um, I'm convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. We are aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation as if it were in the contractions of labor for childbirth. And just on a side thing, um, what Brene Brown says faith is, she says, I thought faith would be an epidural for pain, but it turns out it's not. It's a midwife saying, push, this is supposed to hurt. So, as if in the, as if in the contractions of the day before childbirth, and it's not just creation, we who have already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit, so that's us believers, also inwardly grown and passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters including our physical bodies being transformed, for this is the hope of our salvation. So Paul's talking about our spirits being transformed and our whole selves being transformed because he says including our physical bodies. So he's referring to our spirits as well. So that is the hope of our salvation, the transformation of both our bodies and our spirits. And then he goes on to define hope, he says, but hope means that we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. For why would we need to hope for something we already have? So because our hope is set on what is yet to be seen, we patiently keep on waiting for its fulfillment. Okay, now this is the important part. Then he says, In a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For at times, for example, we don't even know what to pray or what the best things are to ask for. But the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. And God, the search of our hearts, knows fully our longings as he also understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us as holy ones in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. So, if you've drifted off thinking about your trust issues, come back. If you're not naturally inclined to leave what's important to you vulnerable to the actions of someone else, then this is quite a hard verse. If you're not inclined to trust even God. Because from what we understand here, that we might be praying for a particular outcome, but the Holy Spirit within us is praying in accordance with God's will and what's best for us, which is our transformation to become more like Christ. So it might actually, unfortunately, look quite different to what we are praying for. 
So God the heart searcher hears our prayers, but he also hears the Holy Spirit. And Tim Keller says, God gives us what we would pray for if we knew everything that he knows. God gives us what we would pray for if, he, if we knew everything that he knows. But here's the encouraging part. This is the part we often hear quoted. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continuously woven together to fit into God's perfect plan for bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design purpose. For he knew all about us before we were born, and he designed us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. So that's the part we often hear, which gives us a lot to hope for. And I'm sorry that I'm kind of skimming past it in a way. So he works all things for the good of those who believe. Nothing happens by accident without God noticing. And nothing takes us off the path of our destiny. Everything is used to transform our character to become more like Christ, which is the hope of our salvation. Mm. And Tim Keller says, because he's written a book, I think, called Walking with God Through Suffering. I'm busy reading it. Jesus Christ did not suffer so that you would not suffer. He suffered so that when you suffer, you will become more like him. Jesus Christ did not suffer so that you would not suffer. He suffered so that when you suffer, you will become more like him. So Jesus became fully human to show us how to live. And part of why he suffered was to show us how to bear suffering and be transformed to glory. And the good in this verse that, is, that God is moving you towards is through everything that happens in your life, whether it seems on the outside good or bad, you know that you are being transformed to become more like Christ. So if you love God, everything that happens in your life will make you more like Jesus. He'll give you Christ's incredible compassion, his courage, his radiance, his wisdom. God is working everything that happens in your life towards that goal. Being a parent has given me a renewed perspective on God as a parent and how sometimes a parent wants something different from what their child wants. I'm going to give you a little example. My daughter Hannah, she's five, she just started school grade R in a new school and that's not really easy for her. So, um, I didn't sign her up for any extramural classes except for this one, um, which is a gross motor class because that's not her strength. And then, um, it was a Sunday evening and she just burst into tears in the bath. She said, Mom, please, I don't want to do the gross motor class anymore. It's gross motor's on a Monday. I said, Mom, I, they made me walk backwards and there were these beacons and I had to walk backwards and I couldn't look behind me and we weren't allowed to bump into anyone. And I was like, oh my word, because I'm extremely clumsy and that's number eight about me. She probably got it from me and it's, it sucks when you're in visit and you have to do something and you're like quite academic and good in class and then you get onto the sports field and you're like, yeah, I can walk backwards between the beacons. <laughs> so, and everything in me wanted to say, I was thinking, oh man, I think I made a mistake. I should have signed up for this class. I should have just like went until next term. And everything in me was like, don't worry, darling. We'll, let's just focus on getting used to grade R and next term I'll do gross motor. But somehow I found myself saying, okay, darling, you know what we're going to do? We're going to contact the coach. I'm going to ask what kind of exercises you can do at home to improve your gross motor skills so that when you get there, you've had a little bit of practice and you don't feel so unconfident. And she agreed, which I was quite surprised by. 
And I also said to her, darling, you know, one of the reasons I want you to do this is because when you're older, if your friends are like playing a game of tennis or like someone starts kicking a soccer ball around, they're like, hey, join in, like at a picnic or something. You don't need to be a great sportsman, but you just want to be able to join in with your friends. So she said, okay. And then the next gross motor class wasn't that bad. And I was like, Phew. And then about a month later, we haven't even spoken about it again. And she says, we're having breakfast. And she says, mom, you know something about gross motor? So I was like, what? And she said, it's not so bad when you get kicked out of the game. Like if you make a mistake and you have to go sit on the sides. So I was like, oh yeah? She's like, because then you get to cheer for your friends. <laughs> and I was like, oh my word, I didn't even see that one coming. But that is my goal for her, is the transformation of her character. And I was like, so relieved that I didn't say, don't worry darling, gross matter is too hard, you don't have to do it, you know? So, and there's only about three or four minutes left of time myself, so if just come back, stop thinking about me walking backwards through the beacons, <laughs> focus, we'll get into the end. Alright, so, approaching suffering as followers of Jesus. So the thing I'm most grateful for in my journey with suffering, and I'm focusing on that miscarriage and fertility part, is that when I was at my lowest, I imagined my whole life, I dress rehearsed the whole thing from that point to my death, without, without a family, without a nuclear family of my own. And I really like got into the depths of like the worst, I mean I was in a bad place, the worst that it could be. And I, now that I actually have my children, I, parenting is very hard, I knew it would be hard, but I was up for it. And when I reach those low moments with my kids, like where I'm really angry or really frustrated or really sad or worried, I hit that rock bottom feeling and then I'm immediately bounced back up because I think it connects me with that time when I, when I was so down and I couldn't have kids. And it, I immediately picture that alternate life that was running in my head the whole time. And I'm like, wow, so grateful for the hardships of parenting because I really wanted them. And it turns out that gratitude, and um, Brene Brown has done a lot of research on joy, and it turns out that gratitude is correlated with joy. People who experience deep joy are always invariably practicing gratitude. So, because of my suffering, I was given gratitude, and now I have deep joy. And I'm really grateful for that because I wouldn't say I was like a practicing gratitude type person going into adulthood. So Jesus has transformed me in that regard through transcending that period of suffering. It's easy to look around the world and see everything that goes wrong. When you see in Genesis how God breathed order into chaos. So the world is often just pretty much by default going wrong and we can see everything that's going wrong. But I believe we have to be grateful because in this world of chaos, everything that goes right is God's intervention. So that we've got a lot to be grateful for. And social science has shown us that we as human beings are good at imagining the future, but one thing we are all bad at is imagining how we will be different in the future. So you can imagine this future outcome, the worst happens, and you imagine yourself now in that place. But it won't be you now. You will be different in that place. So that's what social science says, and I'll get to what the Bible says about that just now. <coughs> Victor Frankl, um, he's written a book called Man's Search for Meaning, which is a great book to read when you are in a dark place. Um, he was a Jewish psychiatrist who went to the concentration camps, and he lost his first wife and their unborn child, and 
all sorts of things along the way. And he says, the one thing you can't take away from me is the way I choose to respond to what you do to me. The last of one's freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is the power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and freedom. When we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. So we as believers have God on our side, whispering to us, carrying us, helping us to transcend our various situations. And we all know that verse, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Um, it's a really wise verse because it encourages us to think just about today <laughs> and not about tomorrow. And Erin um, McMahon, as he's a pastor in the States, he says, sufficient unto the day is the grace thereof. So when you're imagining tomorrow and that terrible outcome, you're imagining you and that terrible outcome. But it won't be you. It'll be you with the grace that God gives you if that outcome should come to pass, which will be different. So we're not there yet. Trust that you will be different and he will give you his grace if the worst outcome should come to pass. Um, the last thing is how God draws close to us in our suffering. I'm on my last page now. So... <laughs> Great. Relax. So this is about Daniel in the fiery furnace. Um, chapter, well, not Daniel, sorry. It was his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they mention his names about eight times in this verse, so I've tried to take them out a few times. It's quite a lot. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's idol that he made that was meant to bow down many times a day, and they refused. And that made King Nebuchadnezzar furious with them. So he ordered the gods to make the furnace seven times hotter than it had been. And they were tied up wearing robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the fiery flames killed the men who carried them. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in, um, firmly bound, and they fell into the burning, fiery furnace. Suddenly, King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and asked his advisors, Did we not throw three men, firmly bound, into the furnace? And they said, Yes, King, we did. And he said, Look, I see four men, unbound, unharmed, walking around in the fire. And the fourth looks like the Son of God. And many scholars believe that the fourth person in the fire was Jesus. So... God himself will walk through the fire with you. You will be closer to him in your suffering than you ever knew was possible because he'll be there with you. So suffering is a painful opportunity to lean into Jesus and grow closer to him and also to become more like him. There's also a mystery to our faith which I love. And I love holding the mystery of our faith. It really helps me. I think as someone who experiences doubts, it's great to hold the mystery in faith and just be like, I don't actually know. I don't have to say it's exactly like this. Um, so we also believe, in addition to everything I've spoken about today, that God is all-powerful. He's a miracle worker. We believe that we hear from him, particularly promises directly for us from other people, from the Bible, or from our quiet times with God, or a vision, or a dream. So, I don't want to take anything away from that. And there's so much more than what I've spoken today. So please don't let your hopes be discouraged. Rejoice in every promise that you feel God fulfill. And wait patiently for your hopes. And be grateful for the order that brings to the, God brings to the chaos in our lives. 
but also hold some space for the mystery of suffering and some courage for your transformation. And don't buy into the secular worldview that suffering is a meaningless diversions from your plan. And don't shrink God, the sovereign father, into a very godmother. And there's one verse I want to end with from Isaiah 43. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I'll say that. And the last thing I want to say is, don't forget to vote. <laughs> <laughs>
but Victor Frankl, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy deep, but it's also profound. Yeah. Does anyone have something I'd love to read? Victor Frankl. I've got the CDs for your car, if you've got an old car. Um, and Jordan Peterson, you can listen to for free uh, on his podcast. He's got just reams of it, and his storytelling is profound. And uh, Brené, you have to pay. She's good, but she's American. <laughs> <laughs> so let's stand in prayer.